Hi there! Welcome to Explain This, a podcast where we try to explain complex things in simpler ways for people of all ages. I'm your host Jin Kim, and today we'll talk about blood types and why it's such an important concept in medicine. Let's get started! You've probably heard of blood types already. Some of you might even know what blood type you are because you've donated blood before. If you come from an East Asian country like Korea or Japan, you might even know what each blood type supposedly means in terms of your personality, or how likely you are to cheat. One of the most common questions I get asked by patients is, if we're going to test their blood type when we take bloods from them, and if we could tell them what it is. But not many people know why knowing our blood type is important. The answer is, because it can save lives! <laughs> sound like a cheesy hyperbole? Well, after this episode, hopefully it'll be clear just how important three simple letters and a symbol is in the world of medicine. But first, before we dive into the deep world of blood medicine, well, that sounds like dark arts, uh, let's start by explaining blood types to you as if you were five years old. Let's play a game of dodgeball. We're going to split up into two teams, red team and blue team. Now. I'm going to be the captain of the blue team, and you can be the captain of the red team. If you see anyone wearing red, they're on your team, so they're your friends, you're all good. But if you see anyone wearing blue, well then that's your enemy, so you have to shoot them down with balls. Simple, right? Hang on, what about that guy who's wearing red and blue? Well, sure he has red stuff on, but he also has blue stuff on, so you gotta shoot them down. Huh. I also saw a girl who isn't wearing any color, just all white. What about her? What do we do? Well, she doesn't have any blue. And even though she doesn't have any red, I guess as long as she's not blue, she's cool. So you don't have to worry about her at all. Leave her alone. Alright, so this is going to sound weird, but your blood likes to play a similar game too. If anything enters your blood, if it looks similar to your own blood, nothing happens. They're on your same team. But if there's something in there the body doesn't recognize, it will attack, even if it's supposed to help, just because it's wearing the wrong color. So if you want to give blood to someone in the hospital as a medicine, we have to make sure that the types match. Otherwise, the person can get really, really sick. Welcome back. Alright, so obviously you're not a five-year-old. I, I think... So let's explain it to you again, but in much more detail. Now, the dodgeball analogy is actually pretty darn close to how blood really works. Our blood is red, both in the artery and vein, because it is red blood cells. It's actually that simple. Now these are cells that look like little buttons and they carry oxygen all around our body. These red cells, like every other cell in your body, are coated on the outside with little bits and bobs. They can be proteins, they can be carbohydrates. We call all of these antigens. Now, this is a word that you really need to remember for the rest of the podcast. Now, most antigens serve some kind of function, but our bodies have also found another way to make use of them. We can use it as an ID tag. Basically, when we're very, very little babies, our body learns what antigens are part of our team, making them safe. This means that later in life, if something enters our bloodstream, say a rogue bacteria, then our immune system will check its antigens against our whitelist. If it's on the list, then it thinks it's part of our system, so it's all hunky-dory. But if it's not in there, 
it's gonna start sounding alarms. It's all danger, danger! And then the immune system attacks the intruder to kill it. What's more, it keeps that antigen as a trophy, which it uses to train the rest of the immune system to produce special proteins that will automatically bind to that antigen. So if another cell with the same kind of antigen ever comes into the body again, the proteins that are floating around blood will identify the antigen, bind to it automatically, and then clump around it. Then the immune system's alerted immediately so that it can react and kill the intruder without any delay. These proteins are what we call antibodies and make up for a bulk of our immune activity. They're basically personalized wanted lists, and I've always thought it's one of the coolest things that evolution's come up with. Now, let's get back to the red cells. Red cells have two important antigens when it comes to blood typing. A and B. Really simple names, right? Much better than von Willebrand factor or lipopolysaccharides. So, if your blood type is A, what this means is that your red cells have A antigens, but no B antigens. Type B is the opposite. You have B antigens, but no A antigens. Easy, right? So, what antigens do you think type A, B have? That's right, both. Now type O is weird. Do they have O antigens? I mean, there's no A or B in the name. No, O stands for nothing or null, as in they have neither A nor B antigens. This is what we call the ABO blood group system. And that's all we really need to know to understand what people mean by their blood type being A, B, AB, or O. Okay, now that we know what the letters actually mean, why is it important? Is this just yet another label like race, religion, or gender that society will use to pit us against each other? The reason why ABO typing is so important is what happens when you mix blood. So if you're type A, your own cells have A antigens, so your body learns to ignore it. This means that you never make any A antibodies. But since you never had any B antigens to start with, your body will make B antibodies at some stage. Let's use two imaginary people, Alice and Bob, to illustrate this example. Alice is blood type A, and she needs a blood transfusion. Bob is type B, and generously offers his blood. Now we take some of Bob's blood, then inject it into Alice. What happens now? Well, since Alice is blood type A, she'll have B antibodies floating in the bloodstream, but no A antibodies. Once Bob's blood mixes in with Alice's blood, the B antibodies in Alice's blood seize the B antigens on Bob's red cells. Then, the antibodies are going to bind to the B antigens, like a homing signal, activating an immune alarm. So Alice's body will start attacking Bob's blood, treating it like an infection. This is called a transfusion reaction, and can be potentially fatal in some cases. Ugh, well that's annoying. How can we give Alice blood and not make her sick? Well, essentially, you need to give her blood that doesn't have any B antigens. Type B and AB both have B antigens, so they're no bueno. But type A and O don't have any B antigens, so they're safe to give. It'll be like that scene in Star Wars where the stormtroopers are all, These aren't the droids we're looking for. And the new blood and old blood will chill together as friends. This is why antigen and antibody are a very, very important concepts to learn at the start. This is actually how we test for people's blood types as well. Basically, we can take some of your blood, then put it into two containers. One that has A antibodies, and another that has B antibodies. If you have either or both antigen in your blood, it will react with the antibody of the same name, causing your blood to clump. 
So if we put your blood into tube A and it clots, but not in tube B, then that means your blood has A antigens only, making you a type A. If both of the tubes clot, that will make you AB. And if neither clot, then you're type O. Now, we can do the reverse test as well, where we can take the plasma, that's the part of your blood that has no cells and just your antibodies, and then mix it with blood that we already know is type A and another that is definitely type B. This lets us figure out if your blood contains antibody A, antibody B, neither, or both. Now there's one more step where they check one other blood type called D, but we'll explain that a bit later, so let's put a pin on that. Now, the more we talk about antigens and antibodies and clotting and agglutination, the more confusing it gets, too many fancy words. So stick to the basic principle. Just think back to the red and blue teams. That's all there is to blood typing. So to summarize again, antigens and antibodies. You either have A antigens, B antigens, both of them, or neither of them. If you have an antigen on your cell, you're not going to make antibodies. But if you see a new cell with a new antigen, you're going to make antibodies targeting that. So a type A person has A antigens, but no B antigens. So they're going to make B antibodies. And then if you put cells with B antigens in there, then the B antibody binds to the B antigen, creates an immune reaction, and then bad things start to happen. Now, ABO blood typing was actually only discovered 120 years ago. Before then, about 1600s is when they started figuring this out, scientists and doctors had figured out that blood circulating in the body was kind of important. So they thought, well, if there's not enough blood in there, can we put someone else's blood in there to replace it? So they did some experiments where if someone lost a lot of blood, say because they're bleeding from a wound, they take some blood from an animal like a pig or a monkey, then inject it into the patient, just to see what happens. Now, as you can imagine, this didn't work out well, and people usually died pretty much soon after. They did try the same thing with human blood, and found that sometimes it worked, but then a lot of other times, people got really sick or died, just like the animal blood. So, for about 150 years, people lost interest in blood transfusions because it seemed futile. There are many different theories as to why the results are so variable. Like, maybe it had to do with how people had different sized red cells when you looked at it under a microscope. But it took a really smart cookie by the name of Carl Landsteiner to discover the ABO blood types in 1901. He mixed different types of blood and realized some blood types reacted with others, while some mixed perfectly well. This is pretty much exactly what I was telling you before about how we test for blood types now, 120 years later. So, for this discovery, he actually got the Nobel Prize in Medicine and Physiology in 1930, which shows just how important the ABO blood type is in terms of how we approached blood transfusion medicine. Nowadays, it's routine practice to check the blood type when someone donates blood, then labeling it really, really clearly. When we need to transfuse someone with blood because they're losing blood or have anemia, which is not having enough red cells in the body, we check the patient's blood type. Then, we get some blood that would mix safely, and then we double check that the bloods are really, really compatible. And then, and only then, do we transfuse the blood. So there's a lot of safety checks in place, because there have been many, many incidents throughout history, and now, we're injecting the wrong blood resulted in death. Oh yeah, random side note on blood types. So, there was a weird school of thought that came out of the 1930s and then got popular again in the 80s and 90s, 
that people's blood types affect their personality somehow. This is actually still quite popular in Japan and Korea, where even company job applications will sometimes ask for your blood type. Supposedly, type A's like to lead and tend to be stubborn and risk averse. Type B's are passionate, adventurous, but also likely to cheat. Type O's are extroverted and humorous. And type AB's are apparently just weird neurotics. But of course, turns out like star signs, stereotypes based on hair color, and the Myers-Briggs type indicator test, and pretty much every system that tries to divide people into neat, simple categories, it's all just mumbo-jumbo pseudoscience. There's absolutely no evidence that your personality can be predicted off your blood type, or your star signs. So I hope you're not basing your romantic choices or life decisions based on things like that. Okay, that was a lot of information. But now you know all about blood types, right? And how to safely transfuse blood. Or do you? After the break, we'll go one level deeper and learn that it's not all just as simple as A, B, and O. And we're back. So now that we know all about how the ABO typing works, let's introduce one more factor. The rhesus factor. Well, technically, nowadays we call it RH bracket D bracket group antigen, but it's a bit of a mouthful, so we'll just call it rhesus for now. Rhesus factor is another antigen that we find on red cells. But this one's simpler than ABO. Instead of four different types, this time there's just two. You either have it or you don't. If you have it, you get a plus or positive after the ABO letter. So for example, my blood type is B positive. So my red cells have B antigens and rhesus antigens, but no A antigens. In fact, there's a lot of different antigens that blood banks test for to check for compatibility when transfusing blood. ABO and rhesus are just the two most important ones. Now the reason why we need to know about rhesus factor is because babies. Similar to ABO, a person who is rhesus negative doesn't have the antigen on their own cells. So, if they ever see a cell with rhesus factor on the outside in their blood, then they'll start producing antibodies against it. A very important situation this might happen in is pregnancy. If a rhesus negative woman has a baby whose father is rhesus positive, then her baby has a chance of being rhesus positive too, thanks to genetics. If that's the case, when she gives birth to baby, there'll be small amounts of blood that's mixed between the two. The baby doesn't care about this because it's rhesus positive, but mum's body definitely cares. Since it's a small amount of blood, the mum won't have a bad reaction, it's not like a full-on allergic or transfusion reaction. But the body sees enough antigens that it prepares, sharpening its blade, producing antibodies against rhesus factor. So if the same woman has a second baby who is rhesus positive, the body will remember this, and as soon as it sees baby's rhesus-positive cells, it will attack the baby in the womb immediately, treating it like a nasty infection. This causes something called hemolytic disease of the newborn, or HDN, which can cause severe brain or organ damage, and commonly death in newborn babies. Now, this is different to blood transfusion, where we know what blood we should give or not give. It's not like you're going to ask your boyfriend what their blood type is, and choose not to have a baby with him based on that, I, I hope. So for a very long time, this was a serious issue in obstetrics, with many babies being born seriously sick or ending up stillborn. But in the 1950s, researchers figured out that they could use the antigen-antibody interaction to their advantage. 
So the problem is that if a recess-negative woman's body sees recess-positive blood, it'll react and get sensitized, right? As in, it'll start producing antibodies? Well, what if we hide the recess-positive blood so that the mother's body never sees it? Enter anti-D. This is an antibody that binds really strongly to rhesus factor. So strongly, in fact, that it can cover up the antigen and reduce the chance of someone's body being sensitized by 90% with just one dose. If we give this to a woman within three days of childbirth, the entity will bind to the recess-positive baby cells floating around in mum's blood, meaning that it won't trigger any immune reactions. It's like an invisibility cloak for the baby cells. Because NTD is an antibody, we have to refine it from people's donated blood. Now, there's an Australian man named James Harrison who is called the man with the golden arm because he's made over a thousand blood donations in his life. He nearly died from blood loss during surgery as a teenager, so he vowed to donate blood as much as possible as soon as he turned 18. But then, scientists found that his blood had extra potent anti-D antibodies, which was extremely useful in developing the anti-D treatment that we use to this day. Now, Harrison's blood donations are estimated to have saved 2.4 million babies worldwide, including his own grandchild, which is kind of wholesome. All thanks to scientists figuring out how blood works, how it can help us, but also how it can harm us. But you don't have to have special blood like Harrison to save lives, because blood is inherently special. With all our technology, we still don't have a synthetic replacement for blood. So if you have a serious accident resulting in significant blood loss, or you have very bad hemorrhage after childbirth, you get a disease that destroys your own blood cells, or just have heavy periods causing severe anemia, you're relying on the kindness of others and enough blood being available at the blood bank to get you healthy again. When a gunman opened fire into a crowd in Las Vegas on October 1st, 2017, 61 people were killed and 867 people were injured. Now, because a majority of the injuries were from gunshot wounds, the hospitals had a massive need for blood to transfuse to the patients. The citizens of Las Vegas rose up to form long lines at blood donation sites, even starting at 2am, and they supplied more than 800 units of blood in the first 24 hours. Now, as awesome and wholesome as this is, that people would step up in an hour of need for other people, it's also a reminder that crises like this can happen at any time, so regular donations to keep blood banks well-stocked is very important. And it's not just crises that we need blood for transfusions, we use blood by the truckload in the hospital every day. If you've never made a donation in your life, and don't have any reason not to, like your medical or travel history, then you should seriously consider donating blood once in a while. Especially if you're type O negative. You're what we call a universal donor, because your blood would have no A or B antigens, and it doesn't even have recess factor. And this means that your blood will be compatible with pretty much everyone, so we can use it in an emergency where we don't know the patient's blood type. Now, I know that every time I see a bag of blood being transfused into a patient in the emergency room, it makes me think that that blood came from another human being who donated it out of the goodness of their heart. Not because it was mandatory or because they got paid for it. It's amazing to see an anemic or shocked patient go from white as a sheet to having rosy cheeks, all thanks to blood transfusions. So, when you next see an ad for a blood donation run, go donate some blood. I always find it funny when one of my friends calls someone a blood bag as an insult, because it reminds me that even when we feel worthless and useless, at least our blood is worth a lot.
This quasi-inspirational PSA was brought to you by the letters A, B, and O. Alright, so what did we learn today? First, we learned about what antigens and antibodies are, and how your body will attack things it doesn't recognize, clumping it together and then destroying it. Second, we learned what A, B, AB, and O mean. It's what antigens you have on your blood cells. Third, knowing what blood type you are is crucial when giving blood transfusions, because giving the wrong blood will cause a reaction that could kill you. Fourth, the same reaction can kill babies if they have a different blood type to their mum, so we need to give those mums a special kind of antibody called anti-D to prevent their body from even recognizing the baby's cells. Lastly, blood donation is a super amazing gift you can give to the world at very little cost to you. So get out there and donate some blood! Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain This. I hope you've learned something interesting and maybe even useful today. Hope I didn't confuse you too much with antigens and antibodies and all these different letters and symbols, but I swear it's going to come in useful someday. Explain This was written and hosted by me, Jin Kim. If you'd like to suggest a topic or just send a lovely message, you can email me at explainthiscast at gmail.com or follow me on Facebook or Twitter. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.